hate to break it to you, but the first five topics of today's show involve, in some way, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, get used to it. It's a busy off season. They're going to be talked about a lot. Uh, what's also going to be talked about a lot over the next little bit is the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, particularly um, the storylines, the juicy storylines. No matter who wins the Stanley Cup this year, it'll be their first championship in team history, and we love that. Uh, do we love Mike Babcock getting a second chance? That could potentially happen. Uh, plus, uh, Andrew Brunette is the new head coach of the Nashville Predators, and uh, the way that it happened uh, might not have been, shall we say, ceremonious. Also, Kyle Dubas popped up somewhere. Episode 367 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Uh, starting off with, uh, well, we got a lot of topics, Brett. Yeah. Where do you want to go? Well, I, I do want to start off that this was, this lead, the lead in that you do, I've been like, I'm always like the quiet observer whenever you do this stuff. And of course, I, <laughs> I, I know what we're going to be talking about pretty soon. So, uh, but that was kind of a wild lead in there because you first started off like we're gonna talk about the Leafs a lot and then you kind of like spoiled what we're talking about because then you're like oh well Kyle do this. I've then... kind of just been <laughs> freestyling it the past couple of weeks see okay. what works and what doesn't you know it's yeah. uh, this thing in the industry you like to call experimenting. Fair 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 no I, I, I can't knock it but it was just um it was just interesting because also you were saying five Leaf topics in some some indirect way it's actually four, no. four Leafs topics, but um, but I'm There's sure more than two. More than two is enough. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's fair. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I don't mean to be a smartass here, but uh, I guess I I am a smartass here. Ah, we're all we're right. smartasses all the time. That's <laughs> fair. Uh, so speaking of which, we'll start off with the first Leafs topic here, um, and this is actually tangibly related to it. Uh, cause yeah, Re- link link to what they're liter- going literally to Literally link to it, yes. Uh, yeah. The the Leafs have hired Brad Treliving as uh, the GM, um, as their next GM. Um, and yeah, this was, uh, oh, this was also before I forget, uh, Brad Treliving, uh, I guess he's still somewhat under contract with Calgary, so um, he has to, like, the only stipulation in his contract, I guess, is that he can't be at the draft um, this time, which isn't a huge deal because the Leafs only have three picks, and it's just the 28th overall pick and, like, a fifth Yeah, that's what pick. Brandon Pridham's for. That'll be his right. stick for two days. He has a 28th overall pick and the, a fifth overall – a fifth-round pick and a seventh-round pick, so it's, like, it's not a huge deal yeah. that he's not there for it um and i guess the same thing for kyle dubas um uh for pittsburgh but um anyways um yeah so the the leafs hire brad for living i think this is an interesting move because i guess he is the the because i was trying to think of like what are their gms are even available and i i guess it makes sense that brad for living was the best one available uh just 
I mean, we are going to be talking about Florida and Columbus in a little bit in a unrelated way, but um, but that's what happens. Like Johnny, like he didn't have a choice in uh, Johnny Gaudreau leaving and wanting out, um, and then um, like I like I know I think Jeff Merrick mentioned this of like how they should have traded Johnny Gaudreau in the just before the trade deadline last year. Um, if they knew that he was going to be out. And one, I don't think they knew that Johnny Gaudreau wanted out at that point in time. And secondly, the Calgary Flames are the best team in the Western Conference. So you would have to be an idiot to to want to trade Johnny Gaudreau uh, because he was like pulling off like a hard trophy season that year. Um, so, so I don't think that was the right move. However, uh, what ended up happening was is that like okay Johnny Goudreau leaves um, in Calgary, and then um, and then Matthew Kachuk says that like you know what I also want out, and you know it could have been I mean I guess this makes sense because we're about to talk about it in the Stanley Cup Finals but, like it could have been a situation like a Jack Eichel situation, where um, you don't get a, a ton for like a superstar player like Matthew Kachuk. Um, but in turn, um, you know, he gets Jonathan Huberto, who also had a 100-point season that year. Um, you also get Mackenzie Weger. You get a first-round pick for him. Um, and, yeah, like, now it's it's swayed more towards Matthew Kachuk just because, uh, you know, the Florida Panthers are in the Stanley Cup Finals. But at the time, that was thought of, like, um, like a steal for the, the Calgary Flames. Because it's like, yeah, sure, Matthew Kachuk is younger, um, has like a more unique uh, play style and all that stuff. But like just getting like Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger back. So that is a good thing that like, yeah, it didn't actually work out now because I guess it's like hindsight bias. But on the same token, it's like if like we've been talking about this for years or I guess the last couple of weeks now, that um, if let's say Austin Matthews wants out, or if Mitch Marner wants out, or if John Tavares somehow wants out, um, then then we know that Bradshaw Living could make the most out of it because he's done it before, um, which is kind of like also ironic because Kyle Dubas said at his presser that um, that like the Leafs. Like, you know, because they kind of talked about this Matthew Kachuk deal and how that changed the Florida Panthers forever and made them into, like, the team that beat the Bruins, that beat the Leafs, um, and, you know, eventually beat the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, and that kind of changed their – that made their team better. So he was saying how, like, you know, the Leafs need to make a trade. But what's funny is, is that the Leafs then hired the GM who – ended up being on the loot who ended up trading Matthew Kachuk um and he met there's a chance that he might do that again um also before you speak because I know you're going to bring it up Steve uh Austin Matthews will be on a no movement clause after July 1st um and he uh it says that like he's claiming that he's not going to sign until um or uh, uh, like before before then 
Um, and that's what it sounds like is going to happen is yeah, yeah. that before July 1st, he is not going to sign a contract but, extension. But, but before you worry, Leafs fans, um, because this was reported by Luke Fox, um, he does say that he loves Toronto and he wants to resign there. But like, and, and this was reported before the Brad for Living um, hire was made, but he was saying how like he just wants to see what moves the Leafs are making before he makes this final decision. And also, like apparently, he was pretty close to Kyle Dubas, which I I, don't, I didn't realize before. But I guess like a like a star player and a GM are very close. I, I don't know if I've ever really heard that, but I guess it makes sense that if you have a generational talent like Austin Matthews on your team and you're the GM there, yeah, you want to have a close relationship with with each other. So that, like, also the agent of Kyle Dubas is tied to the same agency as Austin Matthews. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, you did mention that too. So that's part of it, I'm sure. Yeah, oh, okay, I see. I, I didn't realize that, or you did mention that, but I forgot about that too. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I think there, there is something to this fact of like every move that Brad Living is going to be making right now is like is wondering like okay what's gonna keep austin matthews here um because you like ultimately yeah he he will have a no movement clause and there's only like a significant amount of teams that could even afford him now um and then let alone once he's on a no movement clause there's only like there's even less teams because it's basically whoever uh, wherever austin matthews wants to go to um but on the other hand, it's like, I, I do think that Austin Matthews wants to stay here. Um, and, um, and yeah, but it's just interesting because I think right now it's like, okay, the Leafs do have all the power, because, but at the same time, it's like Austin Matthews is like, okay, if you're going to make like moves that I don't agree with, I, I want out. And, um, and we'll see what happens. So it's, it's definitely a tense situation, but um, it's like, on the other hand, it's like maybe Austin Matthews does have power. Um, so, so yeah, we'll see. Well, I think Matthews is has to use all the power that he has exactly, yeah. um, to, to make a stand, make a statement. Yeah. And the good news is that Bradshaw Living has a good relationship with Matthews' agents, so that's promising. Um, if you're looking at the body of work from Brad for Living, which dates back to 2014 in Calgary, and we're going to skip the 2014 draft because he's – relatively new to the the um the calgary flames at that point didn't really get a chance to like get the rapport uh, of the draft so the results aren't gonna be spectacular they did get sam bennett fourth overall which you know when you consider the player that he is now it kind of worked and they got good value when they traded him away to the panthers but never really fulfilled the expectations of a fourth overall pick, especially when you consider, you know, guys like Kale McCarr and Bowen Byram were fourth overall picks. And I think Leon Dreisaitl yep. was a fourth overall pick. In fact, <laughs> I think there was a point where in the draft that Leon Dreisaitl was taken by the Oilers, um, Someone on the Steve Dingle podcast was mentioning this moment, but it looked like Brad Treliving and Brian Burke high-fived each other. It's, uh, I think uh, the Flames would love Liam Dreisaitl right about yeah, now, yeah. Uh, even though they do have a lot of star power. Uh, that being said, um, I think 
the Leafs are in, I wouldn't say they're in the best spot, but not the worst spot either. Uh, kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, 2015, for example, the Flames do not have a first-round pick. In fact, they're actually kind of sort of sellers at the trade deadline. Then they go on this run. That was the Cardiac Kid Flames. And they made it to the second round when no one expected them to. And they had Kerry Ramos, their starter. And oh, I, I think Jonas Heller alternating 1A, 1B. I remember that um, year. That was crazy. That was way, that's way yeah. back. <laughs> well, that was the coming out party for Johnny Gaudreau. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, so that was a lot of fun. I think yeah. Rookie of the Year, Johnny Gaudreau, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, they don't have a first-round pick, but they do have a pair of second-round picks, seven picks apart from each other. 53rd overall in that 2015 draft, the Flames take Rasmus Anderson, a key part of their blue line. Uh, seven picks later, 60th overall in the second round, the Flames take Oliver Shillington, who um, is a defenseman with promise as well, as he's shown. Uh, and then later in that draft, in the sixth round, 166 overall, Andrew Mangiapane? Like, how many six-round picks are scoring 30 goals in a season? Like, not many. So that's an excellent find from Trill Living there. Then we go to uh, the 2016 draft where they do have a first-round pick. At six overall, they get Matthew Kachuk. Like, you're laughing at that point. Uh, they also get Dylan Dubé, second-round 56 overall. They get Adam Fox, third-round pick 66 overall. We'll get to him in a little bit because that pick is important. Um, because he never played for Calgary. But, yeah. you know, when you look at the player that he has become – they see talent, and that's the point and, in these picks. They and, see uh, the talent. I will, I will say on that Adam Fox point, he uh, he didn't want to sign with Calgary. It wasn't yep. necessarily that it didn't work out. It was just, or I mean, yep. it, it, it like didn't develop improperly. It was more that he yeah, just didn't like, want to play there. If the player yeah. doesn't want to play for you, like, yeah, what yeah. can you do? Exactly. They didn't want and, to play for Carolina either. And they ended, I think they traded him to uh, Carolina at first, and they got... Yeah, they who got he didn't want to sign with either. And they, and they, got, and they, uh, they ended up getting Noah Hannafin and um, Elias Lindholm, which, you know, like, obviously that's not Adam Fox, but that that is a nice deal, so... Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so 2017, nothing really special in that draft in terms of results. Um, and in in the in fact, in the previous rounds, um, in 2018 as well, there weren't any splashy picks. But in 2019, though, they got some gems. Yeah. They got Jacob Peltier as a late first round pick, and. Dustin Wolf, seventh round, two hundred and fourteenth yeah. overall. Like, that's nuts. He's yeah. arguably the best goalie not playing in the NHL right now. Yeah, yeah. And then you also get Jeremy Poirier, a third round pick in twenty twenty as well. Uh, you get Connor oh, yeah, Zary yeah. in that draft in the first round. That's a mid to late first round pick. Uh, Jack Beck, sixty seventh forward. They got him in the sixth round in the twenty twenty one draft. Uh, they got Cameron Wynott in the third round of that same year, twenty twenty one. And um, I believe they got another notable player. Okay, no, I was thinking another guy. Oh no, no, I'm not. Matthew Coronado. They got oh, yeah. first round, thirteenth overall in 2021. So 2021 could be a huge draft for them as well. So getting to the point of making something out of nothing at all. Mm -hmm. uh, Adam Fox not wanting to play for the Calgary Flames can't control that. Uh, Dougie, Dougie Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. 
Dougie Hamilton was also everything that happened with Dougie Hamilton in Calgary, whatever happened, happened. They moved on from him. They traded him along with Adam Fox and Mikhail Ferland to Calgary. They get, as you mentioned, Noah Hannafin and Hampus Lindholm. Noah Hannafin, not, not Hampus like, Lindholm. Elias, or, uh, Elias Lindholm. I always get the two confused. Uh, they anyway. have a similar last name or the same yeah. last name. So, so Noah Hannafin and Elias Lindholm, um, they are on expiring contracts this year. But when you look at the grand scale of what they've been able to provide uh, to the Flames, especially Elias Lindholm, that's yeah. getting good value and turning something into nothing, uh, uh, getting uh, something out of nothing at all. And then, again, with your back against the wall, and it's presumed that Matthew Kachuk isn't going to sign long-term with you, and he's giving you a short list of teams to deal with, basically, yeah. you're still able to get Huberto and Uyghur and a first in a couple of years? That's nuts! Mm-hmm. And mind you, they did trade a first to get Sean Monahan's contract off their backs, but they used that to get Nazem Kadri, who, yep. you know, if, if he's able to bounce back similar to Huberto, similar to Uyghur, who played well for Canada at the World Hockey Championships recently. Like, obviously, Matthew Kachuk is kicking your ass right now because he's having the season of his life. He's having the playoffs of his life right now. But it's one year. Like, you look at, if if we're to judge, like, the Derek Broussard for Mika Zibanejad trade, if we're to judge it based off a of one year, since fans would say it's worth it. But what happened in the years since then? Because Zibanejad by far has been the better player compared to Derek Broussard. I think, well, I and think... And the Flames can... Sorry, uh, you're, you're, you're I'm sorry, sorry. I, didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but... I, no, I, that's all good, that's all good. I, I do want to iterate, because I did mention this before as I was explaining this, is that, like, it's, it's not really necessarily just because, like, Matthew Kachuk has... This is only one year after that trade, because I'm pretty sure Matthew Kachuk is going to be like elite for the rest of his career um yeah but but the fact yeah yeah but the fact that um but like at the fact that like at the time people were saying that oh yeah calgary won that trade um at the start and they did get a lot like there is a potential that jonathan huberto is going to bounce back there is potential that mackenzie weger is going to bounce back who knows what that first round is going to do um so it's like it's not necessarily that um, like Matthew Kachuk is killing it right now because, you know, ultimately, like, you know, Matthew Kachuk is 24 years old. Uh, Johnny, Jonathan Huberto, I think, is like 34 or 33 or something. He's like significantly older than Matthew Kachuk. So you could realistically understand that, like, oh, okay, yeah, Matthew Kachuk is, will probably be better in the long term, um, even at that time. But, like, yeah, I, I think, like, you know, maybe we do some, like, hindsight bias here. But at the time, everyone thought the Calgary Flames won that trade um, simply because they got so much for Matthew Kachuk, uh, which is the, the bigger show. It's like, yeah, it's not working out right now. But um, but at the time, it was, it was like, uh, one of those trades where you're like, oh, they actually got a lot, a lot back. And he also was able to get uh, Tyler Toffoli in a couple of years of Tyler yeah. Toffoli uh, from the Montreal Canadiens, and he was their leading scorer this year. Yeah. Um, Dan Vladar oh, yeah. for a third-round pick when, yeah, yeah. you know, he's been a 
you know, serviceable backup, Nikita Zadorov. Yeah. You know, he's a bottom pair defenseman. I will uh, say, he was able to yeah. to trade a third for a third and a six. Those turn into, as I mentioned earlier, Cameron Whynot and Jack Beck. Uh, like like I said, he's been able to survey talent and uh, able to make you know lemons out of lemonade. And I'm I'm just making the argument that like when you trade away a guy like Matthew Kachuk, you're not expected to win that trade. Just as in the sense of well, if the Leafs trade away Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner or William Nylander, they're not expected to win those trades. And yet, Brad for Living has been able to get substantial value out of trade scenarios just like the ones that we mentioned during his time in Calgary. So if you're looking at the Toronto Maple Leafs in the sense of, okay, we need someone to make a tough decision and get the most out of that tough decision, true living, uh, while he has had his fair share of wild misses, um, he's hit on quite a few noteworthy trades that he's made. He's looked very good on some of them. Yeah, yeah. And so that, should... that was the point I was getting towards. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But we, I, I feel like we should also mention, like, he, he whipped on James Neal. The Milan-Lucic Yeah, that was, that was a bad one. The Milan-Lucic situation was pretty bad, too. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. He, in, in general, he has been pretty good with trades, for sure. Yeah, so those, those were two bad ones. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to – we, sure, we might as well acknowledge the bad with the good. Yeah, those, yeah. those were two stinkers, for yeah. sure. I think there was there's a couple other ones that I'm forgetting, but uh, but yeah. Was, oh yeah, I'm yeah. I'm sure if we were to to look at yeah, yeah. Um, but the could, archives, I feel like you uh, could say the the same for a lot of GMs. Um, so you know, like even Peter Chiarelli, he won a Stanley Cup. So it's like like for example, <laughs> uh, this is a tough one. Uh, Travis Hamnick, while I will say he is a very good yeah. player. Uh, they gave up a first round pick that turned into Noah yeah. Dobson, and that first round oh, yeah, yeah, pick was twelfth overall. That that hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not that, <laughs> that was that's, not good. That's not good. But yeah, I think you could say uh, uh, yeah this about a lot of GMs. Like as I just mentioned, Peter Torelli, he did win a Stanley Cup. So um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, there, there was also uh, there was also a, a, the Brian Elliott trade uh, from uh, St. Louis to Calgary, and I think it was there in Calgary for. I think it was a year. Uh, that second round pick turned into Jordan Cairo, uh, which yeah. you know again a, a very, a very good player it is, uh, in, it, in his right. But I it mean, is, it's it is, is always is, hard. Is, to, is that is that more when you get into the second round? That's more so the NHL GMs just yeah. making smart decisions and hitting on their picks because like I feel I like so, yeah. you have to hit if you're in the first round. But well, in the second round, third round, fourth round, I it's mean, just like. You know what? All the power to you if you're able to get someone like Stuart Skinner in the third round with yeah. that third round pick that we gave you. It's like ah, fair play, whatever. It's, it reminds me of when the Bruins traded a pick that ended up being Jamie Ben, and like, but like they traded. I think it was. It might have been actually speaking of Peter Chiarelli. I think it was Chiarelli because it was like a piece to get Rich Peverly, and then uh, Columbus traded that pick to Dallas and then Dallas ended up picking Jamie Ben and it was a sixth round. That's, hilar- so, that's hilarious. Yeah. That's Sagan and Ben. It started with yeah. Boston and exactly, it's yeah. in, in a weird way. But like I like you know, but like that's one of those things and you can like going back to this case, it's like would the if the Bruins had kept that pick, would they have 
drafted Jamie Ben, I'm not sure because like Jamie Ben was kind of like a I got the sense that he was a diamond in the rough type player. Um, so uh, so I'm not necessarily sure if the Bruins did so, but credit for Dallas for figuring out that oh Jamie Ben yeah he's gonna be pretty good even though no no other team thought he would be so. But yeah, I mean, also kind of. Yeah. I will say, Dougie Hamilton. By the way, the trade that they yeah. made with Boston for those three picks, oh, yeah, yeah. they turned into Zach's initial, Jacob Forsbacka Carlson, and Jeremy Lozon. Yeah. Imagine if again, I hate to beat the drum. Imagine if the Bruins chose one of the players that went after their three in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Dougie Hamilton trade would have had a big fat asterisk on Calgary's name because then it just yeah. becomes, oh wow, you gave up. Like Kyle Connor well, for Tuggy yeah. Hamilton, yikes! Well, even to make things even weirder was there was a rumor that Don Sweeney wanted to move up in that draft to uh, draft Noah Hannafin, um, but uh, Brian Burke uh, didn't want to, um, and I, I guess because what was weird about that draft is I think Calgary ended up not drafting uh, Noah Hannafin because Brian Burke was in Calgary at the time because I think Carolina drafted him beforehand. But yeah, (laughs) then eventually Calgary does end up getting Noah Hannafin and the Bruins do end up trading with Calgary anyways for Dougie Hamilton. So it's it's the same time with the Dougie Hamilton trade. What's what's funny is is that they used that Dougie Hamilton to get Noah Hannafin eventually. (laughs) So. Yeah. What's also interesting is that Dougie Hamilton, yeah. uh, so one of those second-round picks, although I don't know if it would count as a trade tree, yeah. but one of those second-round picks that turned into Jeremy Lozon, they got from Washington for Curtis Glencross, who oh, yeah. was basically one of their best forwards, oh. goes to the Cavs at the trade we deadline, could, and then is basically on a PTO and leash training camp the season after, and then irrelevant yeah. after that. So so we could, so, we could uh, nerd out on... on- we could turn it out on like a lot of things. It's right. just like okay, well, this trade, okay. this trade looks Can good I, now. Oh, it looks I, bad. I oh, wanna, wait, now it looks less bad. I do want to like transition us to <laughs> to stay on topic right. here, though. Uh, so yes, we can right, yes. we can nerd out on a bunch of like potential trades that didn't end up happening, but um, and I I'll take responsibility for that too, but. Uh, but I do want to mention our so so yeah you just talked about Trevor Living's time uh, at Calgary. What do you think he's going to bring in Toronto? I think he is a guy that will fight for his players, but at the same time he has that outsider's lens yep. and also not the blind loyalty that Kyle Dubas I think had. He said in his press conference, this can't be about the core four. It has to be at the Toronto Maple Leafs. It, there's 23 guys in that mm-hmm. locker room. We need to assemble the best team possible. In a nutshell, that was his words. Yep. Um, and that's the running line. We all know Kyle Dubas for the we can and we will statement. This can't be about the core four. We'll be Brad Trelivings. And yeah. he's right. Like, the Leafs, I don't think, can go any further with the core four than how far they went this year. Like, if you're yeah. going to get five wins, big deal. You need 11 more to win the championship. That's the whole reason yeah. you assemble this roster in the first place. And if Brad Living's able to assemble that, um, and he's and he's got the balls to make those, you know, on paper risky trades, you know, the Leafs have made so many risky trades in the past, surely one of them is going to pay off at some point. Yeah. Um, but it, 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 it's, it's a risk. I mean, I'm sure people can say, well... 
you know, the Leafs need like a Joe Sackick or a yeah. Stevie Y in this position. They'll fix it. But the reality is those special type of GMs don't come around very often. And I think out of the field of GMs, um, built, uh, equipped even, to handle a situation like this, I think Brad Living's probably the most qualified, and they made the right call there. Um, I think he's going to bring leadership and accountability and a degree of trust. But like I said, not blind trust. And I think... I think that's a good combination for future leave success. And uh, like I said, the strengths to make those trades, the strengths to draft well beyond the first round, which Kyle Dubas also had, by the way, um, it, are, are going to prove very, very useful at a time where, mm. again, we've we've been waiting for that shift in power to happen in the Atlantic Division. Uh, we thought it would happen this year. I definitely think it's going to happen next year because of the cap crunch for some of the teams and in Boston's case, H. Yeah. I will argue. And I think we've talked about this a lot lately, so it'll probably be a common theme, but it sounds like, uh, Elliot Friedman said that, uh, Sheldon Keith's job is safe. Um, because of all the GMs that the Leafs had, interviewed they were asked on if they would keep Sheldon Keefe and all the GMs said that they would I think that's actually the move that the Leafs need to make but it, it seems like Sheldon Keefe is uh job is safe for now and, and watch like Sheldon Keefe get like fired right after we record this but um <laughs> which would be pretty funny and that would be that would be an all-timer of uh, <laughs> of uh, the the lace them up curse here but um the uh but i i do uh like so i feel like that is the move and like ultimately if the core four or i i hate that term but um the the big four in toronto like ultimately if if uh if nylander matthews and marner and Tavares all want to stay they're gonna stay um and uh because like i think that's mostly what shanahan has been saying is is that you know, they want people who are going to be, who want to be in Toronto 100%. And if all four of them are saying like, yes, I, I want to stay in Toronto, I believe that we will win this. Um, then, then yeah, I, I don't think uh, Brad Trilliving will do that. Um, but it does seem like, and you know, I just was like reading the inner workings and I'm going to transition us to the next topic here. But it seems like Kyle Dubas didn't like how um, uh, Shanahan was like micromanaging him, um, and what it didn't want the trade. Like, I guess there was like a report that Dubas wanted uh, to trade, like wanted to make this trade. He wanted to trade Matthew Nyes, um, and uh, like to get um, I forget who it was, but it would have I been think it was Hagel. Yeah, it would have been a terrible trade. Um, but uh, but then Shanahan didn't like it, and uh, Dubis just didn't like the aspect of that. He had to like go through like two hundred people in order to like approve a trade that he wanted to make. But at well, the, the same, other thing is that like Shanahan yeah, says, Drew Living's gonna have a final say on yeah. those trade decisions, and it's Fair. just like, buddy, you're the president. You can mix any trade you want. I don't right, buy that right, for right. a second. Right, right. But like in hindsight, it's like, well, good thing Dubis didn't have. A full reign on this company that would have been a terrible trade um not not to knock brandon Nagel, but like matthew nice like 
he he only played a couple of games in the playoffs, and he was pretty good in the playoffs. So, uh, so it would it would have been a kind of a bad trade. I think that's that something in like five yeah. years we revisit because yeah. I mean Hagel had a good year in Tampa, but true, I mean true. the but I don't potential know of Nyes is is what makes it maybe a bad trade. Yeah, yeah. I guess I just I don't know how much he would have helped Toronto this year. Yeah, true but. enough. But uh, but anyways, it, it, I, I feel like there is that sense of, like, I'm just reading behind the lines or what I've been hearing from guys like Friedman and Drager. Drager. Um, so so maybe, like, you know, we like who knows actually what happened, but I got this sense or just reading the tea leaves that, like, oh, Dubis just didn't like the fact that he was being micromanaged. Um, in, also, in if, if you're looking at a guy that's, you know... Yeah. Um, like, if you're looking for a winner, for example, yeah. you know how many times Bradshaw Living's teams have been to the second round? Uh, two, two times. Two, I was about to say two, two times. times right? yeah. That's one more time than Dubis, and Dubis did it this year. Yeah. But, okay. In almost half of Bradshaw Living's time in Calgary, his team didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, if you're going to look at his track record of winning, I mean, Bradshaw Living might you know, be known for drafting good and also yeah. making good trades. But in terms of regular season results, even Dubas kicks his ass. Yeah. So. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I guess time will tell. Um, I'm yeah. not, I'm not ready to say that <laughs> Trevor living is better than Dubas. Um, because a lot of this, like, you know, pretty much, I feel like GM ship, it's, it's all about luck. Like again, Peter Torelli somehow. Won yeah. Stanley no, Cup. you're not wrong. And he, like, the fact that Torelli won a Stanley Cup and he made three of the worst trades in, like, lockout history, uh, that it's like, all right, like, you're not, because uh, the, the Griffin and Reinhardt, yeah. Taylor Hall, and Tyler Sagan trades is what I'm talking about. So it's like, all right, GM, it's a lot about luck, really, as a GM, but um, I'm not ready to say yeah. that Trey Living is better than Dubis, um, but, but we'll see. Speaking of Dubis, uh, so as I was just mentioning that Dubis didn't like that Shanahan was micromanaging him, and I guess he decided that you know what, I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna take Shanahan's job elsewhere, and and so that's. He also right. didn't. He, he also said he wouldn't pop up somewhere in a few weeks, and, and he, well, <laughs> hey, look at that, he did. Yeah. So he, uh, the Pens have. There was speculation that he was going to be. Uh, the Penguins were going to hire him as a GM, and technically he is still the GM right now. But he says that he's eventually going to give this away. But who knows if like, that is a good point too? I forgot about that. So maybe he'll just stay as a GM and a president of Hockey Ops, and he'll never hire a GM. Um, but uh, but yeah, currently he's trying to find a lead singer, but no one good enough was available. Yeah, so yeah, I just he's, didn't. he's just gonna stay as the GM. Um, I mean, I guess the fact I guess it does make sense because it's like a month before the uh, the draft starts. So he, you know, I guess that that would be a tough. You can't really hire a GM at that point. Uh, but uh, but yeah. So apparently he's going to be the president of Hockey Ops, where he has full reign on what he wants to do. Um, but yeah, I don't necessarily envy his position here in in Pittsburgh because um, yeah, I mean, as good as Crosby and Malkin are. In Latang are, it's like they're they're not getting any younger, um, and 
it might be timed for a rebuild um, in Pittsburgh. But so I am curious to see what Kyle Dubas wants to do um, in this um, in this new role here. Um, it does remind me a little bit uh, to go to basketball terms here, but Brad Brad Stevens, who was a great Boston Celtics coach, he ended up just being like he's like you know what I I don't want to be a coach anymore. I'm just gonna be a GM instead. So he just he just changes roles and becomes upper management, um, and um, and yeah, so that, that's how that works. But um, but yeah, we'll we'll see what Kyle Dubas can do. I'm 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 even more curious to see what Kyle Dubas will do more than what I'm curious to see what Brad Living and Shanahan will do. So um, earlier this week, when the Dubas uh, press conference. Uh, um, was happening. I was just thinking to myself, see, what are the odds that Brandon Pridham is just approached by Colin and says, hey, want to be the GM of the Penguins? Oh, that would be funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not, it's a no-no for someone to offer you the same position with a different team and you're leaving the team that you're, like, for example, assistant GM yeah. of the Penguins. Like, he can't take that if he's already the assistant GM right, of the Leafs. Right, right. I don't know but if it was a promotion to GM, I mean, I think Kyle Dubas is in the clear to do that. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, would be kind of That would be funny if, he could, if, if that actually happens. Now, I think. Also extremely petty, probably yeah, on yeah, Dubas's yeah. part. Or at least sure. he would be judged as that. Also, I noticed that a lot of Leafs fans are calling Kyle Dubas a fraud already. Which, I mean... Kyle Dubas is free to do what he wants, mm-hmm. but you better be prepared for the heat that comes your way the next time you come to Toronto because they took you at your word when you said you wouldn't pop up anywhere else and you were going to take – and that was – I don't have it in me to be anywhere else. And then literally a few weeks later, you're somewhere else and to in a, fair, the, sim- to, to the exact fair. same role as the guy you left behind. Like, to be fair, dude. To be fair, though, that he – like. He was fired by the Leafs. Like he, like he wasn't like. I mean, true, but before that, he said, but before that, he was yeah, preaching his loyalty but to like the Leafs. He didn't, he didn't expect to be fired. <laughs> so, I mean, at the time, he said he was like he wasn't even hundred percent sure if he wanted to be the GM. Right, so, right, right. well, he's not the anyway. GM. He's just uh, he's the president of Hockey Ops. <laughs> yeah, well, he's better than the GM. Anyway, yeah, yeah, so. Uh, so uh, Kyle Dubas in his press conference, um, he says he spoke with Mike Sullivan numerous times during the process of, you know, taking his new gig. He also spoke to Sidney Crosby once. And, um, I, I, I feel like part of this is just all about power and control. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think in terms of the opportunity that Dubas has provided here, it is a very good opportunity, an opportunity to flex his muscles. And I don't know if this is an opportunity where Kyle Dubas is in over his head and he thinks he can handle it, but he can't. Or if, you know, he thinks he can't handle it, and yeah, he can handle it. Right. But I don't believe Kyle Dubas when he lays out his plan in the sense that, and he might have done a we can and we will moment here, as the Steve Dingle podcast alluded to, when he said, he was willing to bet on Crosby and Malkin and Latang and Sullivan that, you know, we can still contend with this group. Uh, to anyone in Pittsburgh who thinks that, you're delusional. I'm sorry, mm. but you're delusional. 
if you look at the cap situation and you also look at the age of some of these players, Sidney Crosby, God bless him. Two years left at 8.7 million. What a bargain, eh? Absolute bargain. Top 20 scorer yet again in the league. Um, and he's, he's not showing any signs of slowing down and the concussions haven't slowed him down either, but he's going to be 37 or 38 when his deal expires in two years. Like that's, you know, pretty old. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Kenny Malkin is 36 today, he has three years uh, and one year into a four year deal with a $6.1 million cap hit. So he'll be f- like 39, 40 years old when his deal is done. Uh, you have Brian Rust, who you signed to a fresh new contract last offseason. Not Kyle, but uh, Brian Hexall did. Uh, Six-year contract at $5.125 million. That is five years left on that. Great player. I think a pretty good offensive production, but he's 31, uh, which is the same age as Mikhail Granlund, who you have two years left at $5 million. Who, by the way... Uh, you traded for it the deadline. I didn't get it then. I still don't get it now. And now you're stuck with that cap hit for two years at $5 million. If he's not producing well uh, at the rate he was la- uh, with the Preds a year ago, uh, that's not ideal. Uh, Ricard Raquel is also locked up at the same price. And granted, uh, while the numbers didn't show it, I, I definitely think he can be like a 60 to 70 point guy. But he's 30 years old. So when that deal expires in five years, he's going to be 35 years old. Uh, Jeff Carter has a no-move clause. Why, I don't know. But he has a no-move clause. One year left on his deal. $3.125 million cap hit. An easy, easy contract to trade away. But that no-move makes it impossible. So I don't know what they do there. Uh, They also have a bunch of uh, bottom six forwards uh, that are UFAs and RFAs. So maybe that's where they get their cap space. Maybe they don't bring back Brian Dumoulin and they save some more cap space there. I think his cap, it was in the $4 million range. Um, Jeff Petrie locked in another two years at $6.25 million. He's 35 today. He'll be 37 when the contract ends. And to be perfectly honest, I think similar to Chris Letang, age is catching up to him. And that brings us to Chris Letang, who, like Evgeny Malkin, signed a long-term extension. And the longest out of all of them, six years, $6.1 million, with a no-move clause. He's 36 years old. And just this past season, not only uh, lost his dad, but also had a second stroke. Like, he's had two strokes in his playing career. Like, the amount of injuries and illnesses this guy has had to battle through, it's so messed up. Uh, And then you have the goaltending situation. Tristan Jerry is a UFA. Casey DeSmith uh, with one year left at $1.8 I don't really trust the goalie tandem right now. There's not really too many goaltending upgrades on the market, at least long-term, maybe short-term, but not long-term. And then you look at the prospect pool, which, you know, has some pieces, but I don't think it's nearly deep enough to keep them in contender mode. I, I just think it's one big pipe dream for the short term. I think it's a long-term project that, you know, in five years, Kyle Dubas can turn things around, but he can't keep the contender status with Crosby and Malkin and Latang in the fold. And maybe with Mike Sullivan, he still can because Mike Sullivan is a great adapter to change and a guy that gets the most out of his players. Mm. 
uh, regardless of who those players are. So I think Sullivan could, you know, be a part of the next stage of winning Penguins hockey. But I think the core of the Maple Leafs, uh, the core of the Maple Leafs, for example, is one thing to commit to because those guys are in their prime or right. just hitting their prime. These guys are near the end. It's yeah. it's just two completely different stories. And now that you've said you're betting on them, well, now you go back on your word. It's just like, hey, well, that you said you bet on them. Oh yeah, well, I I was wrong. We we have to make trades now because we suck still. Yeah. And yeah, by that. I guess. <laughs> well, well, first off, I the uh, the Penguins uh, do have. 20 million in cap space so they do have some some uh money to deal with there um yeah and i will agree that yeah the chris letang uh contract is not good um and uh the evgeny malkin one might not be not age well in a few years but i i am interested in this aspect that like dubis says that he wants control of the team, like, and that's a big reason why he uh, ultimately got fired by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Is he just had a dispute with Shanahan? So I am just curious on like what how this will work because I could see it where like I I know long enough that I can never count out Sidney Crosby. When Sidney Crosby's on your team, you're you're going to be a good team. Um, I know like <laughs> this past year I'm <laughs> negating that because they didn't make the playoffs, um, even though they could have. But I, I I don't know. I feel like you could like make some moves here, and all of a sudden the Penguins are in the playoffs, and they're one of the better teams in the league. Um, but, yeah, right now it's not looking great, but I, I feel like you could make some moves and make it into a contending team at the very least. Um, wonder if it's one of those uh, classic instances of you either die a hero or live yeah. long enough to see yourself well, become yeah, that's, a villain. That's, that's exactly true. Like I could see it where like, like it could be Shanahan in like five yeah. years. Yeah, that's where it's possible. just like yeah, I don't like that trade. Next. Yeah, I mean, I could see it. Yeah, you you could ultimately be right that this is just uh, an explosion ready to happen. Um, that's not the uh, right uh, phrase, I don't think. But um, anyways, this, this could just be like a, a mess, tire fire waiting to happen. I guess that's the phrase I was looking for. Um, Either way, I'm sure Urinating Tree is loving this right now because he's going to have content for days if it succeeds and content for days if it uh, just turns into a dumpster fire and it'll make for great content either way. I I don't feel bad for the Penguins either way, though. So, (laughs) Um, because they they have enough enough. They have enough cups for a life. They won won five, all all of them involving Lemieux in some capacity. Exactly. so the Washington Capitals, uh, to continue this Leafs trend here, uh, they hire Spencer Carberry, who's a an assistant coach for the Leafs. Um, apparently, I don't know too much about him, but other than the fact that like he was rumored to be the coach of uh, like if Sheldon Keith was to be fired, uh, it seemed like Carberry would be the front runner for that job. But turns out that the Caps have hired him. Um, it is interesting, though, that they do have Rasmus, uh, I almost said Deline. They have Rasmus Sandin um, in the mix there. So I am curious to see uh, Sandin's development there. Also, I, I saw reports that Carberry was very much like, um, uh, like so uh, the Leafs had the second best power, no, the third best power play. Um, the two 
Oh, no, I think they were even better than the Bruins, actually. So the second best power play and the first best uh, power play was the Edmonton Oilers. And the Edmonton Oilers had the best power play of all time. So uh, so that's something where, like, Spencer Carberry is very good at. Um, and, of course, that's also, like, what Alex Ovechkin's known for is, is the power play skills. So if they, you know, if the Washington Capitals can fix that power play, then, yeah, I guess this is a good hire. Um, I am. Just, I, I, I like when uh, coaches get their first turn as a as a head coach. Um, so so I am curious to see because it could go either way. It could uh, it could be like that like a Brad Larson type thing, or it could just be like a. Um, I'm trying to think of like another a coach that excelled his first time. Um, Andrew Burnett, I guess, is who we're going to talk about. But um, so um, so yeah, it could, it could just be that. Um, Maybe, no, Mike Sullivan, yeah, that was the first. Although, no, wait, he was the Bruins coach before he was the Penguins coach. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I am curious to see how this goes. But, uh, yeah, uh, the, the Caps have hired Spencer Carberry. So the interesting thing with the Capitals is they only have $7 million in cap space, but I think they can work that to their advantage. Yeah. Because there have been rumblings that, you know, maybe they move on from Evgeny Kuznetsov after another down year, mm-hmm. um, a year after having a great season. Uh, two years left at $7.8 million. I think with the trade market being as active as it is, I think someone would be willing to take uh, a chance on Kuznetsov, you know, as like a second-line threat where the pressure's not on him to... Um, say, be the star of the show. And I think in the perfect situation, he could fit that bill. Um, TJ Oshie, perhaps, uh, with two years left at 5.75. I don't know if, uh, how much value he's going to get, but if you can shed some salary there, that would be ideal. Anthony Mantha, horrible year offensively. Uh, not the player they envisioned they were getting when they traded Richard Panic and Jacob Verana and yep. other assets to get him. Uh, I think with one year left on his deal, he's expendable, especially if they're going to keep Tom Wilson around. He's got one year left on his deal at 5.16. And then you look at uh, their back end, which, uh, you know, at some point you're going to have to pay Rasmus Sandin, especially if he had that monster second half for a full season next year. Um, And then, you know, you still have a capable number one goaltender in Darcy Kemper who might be 33, but you could get a couple good seasons out of him. You have the uh, contracts of Connor Brown and Carl Hagelin coming off the books as Mm -hmm. well. Um, So all things considered, I think the Caps, similar to what Pittsburgh had the opportunity to do last year, they might have to make some tough decisions. But I think they can turn the ship around rather quickly and get back to being the Washington Capitals that maybe aren't Stanley Cup threats, but are definitely playoff contenders. Um, especially if the if the playoff race is as tight uh, next year as it was this year. Like the Senators, for example, were a couple of spots behind the final seed, uh, the Florida Panthers, and they were only six points out. Mm. Like, you take away a losing streak or two, and the Sens are a playoff team. Yeah. And uh, the Washington Capitals were in the thick of it until about a month left, and they started uh, to, you know, lose a couple in a row, and uh, that eventually turned into a losing streak that they couldn't crawl out of the grave. So I think 
if you're looking at what the Capitals need to do, they need to restock the prospect cupboard a little bit, get some cap space, um, maybe rejig the roster a little bit. But I definitely think the opportunity is there for the Caps to do something. And I don't think it's impossible to turn it around with Spencer Carberry. I'm just not really sure uh, how he's going to be able to get the young guys to play with the old guys. Cause that's, that's the next trick. When Bruce Cassidy came into the picture, he took David Pasternak's game to the next level. And then on top of that, the veterans were also playing pretty good hockey. And that's part of the reason why the Bruins in short order were able to become the cream of the crop in the NHL again. Yeah. Uh, and I think if Carberry is able to do that, um, I, I think uh, the Capitals are going to be in a good spot. The problem is uh, Bruce Cassidy had some degree of NHL experience. He had some head coaching experience at the lower levels. Spencer Carberry at the NHL as a head coach, this is his first gig. He's a fresh young pup into this scene. And, um, you know, outside of learning from Sheldon Keefe for a little bit, for not even two full years, yeah. uh, that's all the experience he has to go on. And not every coach can handle that. So I'm interested to see... Uh, how it goes for Washington uh, this year and moving forward uh, under a, a new regime and, and a fresh set of eyes. Yeah, it would be such a Leafs thing if, like, Carberry is, like, a genius. <laughs> He's the coach of the year, and he yeah. takes him to the conference finals Basically, off red. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just how it happens. Yeah, exactly. It's, well, they meet the Pittsburgh They meet the Pittsburgh Penguins in the second round, probably. Yeah, something like that. Um, but, uh yeah, the uh, or it's like Columbus, Pittsburgh, and Washington because we're about to get it into Columbus um, are all in the playoffs. Yeah. Toronto's not in the playoffs. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be kind of funny. Yeah. Um, the uh, um, oh, and speaking of Pittsburgh, because that that is uh, I I forgot to mention, but the last time Pittsburgh and Toronto had a connection. It was the Phil Kessel trade, and you know that's what what happened after that. The 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 Penguins ended yeah. up winning two straight cups in a row. So, um, and he played a big factor in both of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course, it's a little bit different from a player and a, a president of hockey ops, but um, but it would be mm -hmm. kind of funny. Um, okay, yeah. uh, we'll we'll go to the Blue Jackets here. This was a, this would actually be like a leading story. Uh, cause this, but this happened yes, yesterday. Um, and it's not official just yet, but it looks like Columbus is going to hire Mike Babcock. Uh, the reason why it isn't official just yet, but I am seeing it everywhere that we're going to mention it right now is the fact that, uh, he, um, supposedly he's still on contract until January, uh, until like June 30th. So supposedly they're going to hire him July 1st. Um, and, and that's what's going to happen, but we'll see. Um, of course, the last time we heard of Mike Babcock, he was, uh, he was ousted by, in Toronto, um, and there was a report that he was, um, trying to get Mitch Marner to play harder and, and showed Mitch Marner, like, and wanted Mitch Marner to create a list of guys that tried harder than him. Um, and was very mean to Mitch Marner in general and just was saying like how like like uh, all these guys were were playing a lot harder than Mitch Marner 
Um, he was also uh, famously uh, Mike Commodore um, didn't get along with Mike Babcock when uh, Babcock was the coach in Detroit. Um, the uh, same goes for Mike Com uh, Mike uh, Joe Joanne Franzen, who said he was bullied into playing uh, when he was actually like concussed. Um, and then he also healthy scratched Mike Modano um, when he, when Mike Modano was in Detroit. I know crazy that Mike Modano was in the Red Wings. I can't even envision that. Uh, and that's because he didn't even play in Detroit that often. And uh, before Mike Modano retired, he retired with, uh, I think you were saying like 599 games or something. Um, he was about to break a milestone in games played, and Mike Babcock just never gave it to him, um, which is ridiculous. Um, and so, yeah, so he's a, not a great coach in uh, on a human element, but you can't really deny that he's an incredible coach um, like in terms of hockey sense, he's won, uh, he's only won, oh wow, I guess he's only won one Stanley Cup, but he's only in his, uh, let's see here, in his, um, 14, never won a Jack Adams either, um, in his 16 seasons, oh, yeah, right, right, um, in his 16 seasons, um, of play, of coaching in the NHL, he's made the playoffs, 14 of those times so uh from that sense it's like yeah it's a great it's a great hire and like he was the the red wings coach for um you know the nick lindstrom henrik zetterberg pavel datsuk's team so um he's obviously a very good coach even in in detroit and you know he made he helped make toronto relevant and and like yes he he did it did come out that he was bullying mitch marner but he also kind of like was uh, helpful for Toronto in in getting them to be relevant as well, um, in helping Matthews and Marner, um, and Nylander all grow into the players that they've become today. Um, even though ultimately it didn't end up working out. Um, so you know I I'd like to think that society has is better about the stuff that like you know like especially after the Kyle Beach situation. Um, where, like, we, we don't tolerate bullying, we don't tolerate, like, asshole coaches like that. But, on the other hand, it's like, I, like, I'm not surprised that this, that Mike Babcock's back in the NHL. Um, just purely because he is a good coach. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is that sense of, like, um, like, yeah, he might, he's, he's definitely an asshole. So, um... So, you know, I, I think, you know, I do love giving second chances, but, and it's on, like, you know, we'll have to see um, how it goes in Columbus, and uh, we have to, like, you know, assume that Yarmo Kekalainen has um, done these background checks and has checked in with Babcock and has, like, you know, I guess Babcock was coaching in uh, Saskatchewan, um, their university. Yeah, University of Saskatchewan men's yeah. team for a year. Which is crazy that like Mike Babcock was it's coaching not even in the NCAA but like Canadian college, um, and yeah, uh, either way, and and young and young athletes as well. Yeah, like the 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 thing that forced him out of there was how he handled young players in Toronto. Right. Yeah, that's a good point too. Um, but what's what's a little bit sketchy, and uh, we were talking about this off the air, uh, was that the fact that he signed on for that for two years, 
and then he left after the first year. So that is a little bit weird. Uh, but uh, so so we'll see how this goes. That it's it's like the Pittsburgh situation. Like this could either be like a great hire and Babcock's a changed man or whatever, um, or this could be a tire fire and this could be like how John Tortorello um, didn't end up working out in Columbus as well. So we'll see. I'm I'm curious to see that how Jonathan Johnny Gaudreau reacts to Babcock. I am curious to see how Patrick Line reacts to Babcock. Uh, what's interesting is, is like, you know, Daryl Sutter, um, he's, he plays, he has a similar coaching style to Babcock, it seems. And that's where Gaudreau had his best year um, in the NHL. So I am curious to see that. However, like Tortorello, um, who, um, who, uh, it also play has a similar coaching style to Babcock. Um, uh, he famously he uh, healthy scratched um, Patrick Line a few times as well. So there is definitely a chance that Patrick Line may not get along with Mike Babcock. Um, but but Jonathan Johnny Gaudreau he might he might end up working out with with Babcock and we'll see. We all know Mike Babcock is a competitor. He's um, a general in every sense of the word. Like, the way he strategizes before every game, um, the way he's able to get his players ready is second to none. But he is a dick. Yeah. It's why he's been out of hockey for so long. Because people found out he was a dick. And... A lot of organizations are like, well, we're not going to hire a dick as our coach. Um, And at this point, you better hope that he has learned or Yermo Kekalainen is out of there before Babcock is shown the door. Like, this this will cost him his job. And, you know, maybe, you know, if if he hired someone else and they got fired, it would still cost him his job. But especially now, if Mike Babcock doesn't work for this team, Yarmo Kekalainen is out of there as GM. And at this point, I hope that Mike Babcock is able to unite this group rather than to divide this group. Because this is a very, very young group of players. You look at a team that is going to have a third overall pick that's probably going to be a game changer moving forward. You're going to need to get the best out of that player. And Mike Babcock, especially on the positivity front, needs to get the best out of that player. As you mentioned, Johnny Gaudreau, as you mentioned, Patrick Laine. It will be interesting to see how those guys play out. But you also have a guy like Jack Roslevic on your team. You need to get him into that next-level gear that he hasn't showcased yet. Boone Jenner is a very character player. I don't have any worries about him. You have a guy like Alex Tessier, who has missed a year of hockey, has gone through a lot. Assuming he is back next year, you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to manage that. And just there's a lot of baggage, um, like off-ice baggage on this team, and not baggage in a bad way, but there's a lot of personal shit that some of these players have gone through. As I mentioned, Alex Testier looking after his mental health, Elvis Mertz Lincoln's losing, you know, his, his teammate, his friend. A couple of years ago, I'm sure it hasn't, he hasn't gotten over that yet. And you look at the past couple of seasons, his play on the ice has not been the play that we've seen, you know, 
pre-lockout, or, or uh, not pre-lockout, pre-COVID. I, I just feel that you really need a guy to unify that locker room, get them believing in each other again, and believe that they can win, and that they can beat anybody they come across in this league. And I don't think that fight has been the Columbus locker room for the better part of the last year or two, and that needs to change. And if Mike Babcock isn't able to get the best out of those veterans, isn't able to get the best out of Ken Johnson, isn't able to get the best of a guy like Kirill Marchenko, isn't able to get the best out of a guy like Cole Stillinger, who's um, had a rough second year, had that sophomore slump hit him like a ton of bricks. Um, Zach Wierenski missing a basically a full season from injury as well. Uh, Jake Bean missing a lot of time due to injury as well. Um, a lot of that uh, D pair uh, wasn't really playing uh, alongside each other because of injuries to one another at various points. There were a lot of trials and tribulations that have happened in Columbus since COVID hit. And um, it's resulted in a lot of disappointing finishes in mm. this league. And you got to have a coach that is ready to deal with all of that. And when you have a guy like Mike Babcock, who has been questioned for handling um, past situations, but not only that, Hasn't been in the league since Marc-Andre Fleury robbed the Leafs. That was, what, uh, November 2019? Mm. When Sheldon Keefe was hired around that point? That's a long time. That's almost four full years that he's been away from this league. And this league, maybe to not all extents, but to some extents, might be a little bit different than the league that Mike Babcock left behind. So there's a lot of adjustments for Mike Babcock to make. I don't think he's going to make all those adjustments in his first year, but the second year and the third year, potentially the key thing for Mike Babcock is he's got to be patient. He's got to be ready to learn and he's got to get the players on his side. If he can't do any of those three things, it's going to be a rough ride for him and it's going to be a short, swift exit. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Um, all right. Uh, now uh the this uh this next hire i feel like this might actually be the move of the the off season um and the off season hasn't even started technically yet um but uh yeah the the predators uh they fire john john hines and they replace him right away with andrew burnett uh the reason why i feel like this is such a a move here is that andrew burnett uh, so he was the, uh, when John Quenville was out um, in Florida um, midway last year, uh, midway in the season last year, uh, he, you know, he brought the Florida Panthers into, um, into a President's Trophy team. Um, and then, um, and then he, I guess he, he ended up not being hired by the Florida Panthers and, you know, I guess, look how that turned out. But uh but then he goes to New Jersey to be the assistant coach there, and all of a sudden, New Jersey is um, is doing really, really well. Um, so um, it's it's pretty clear that Andrew Burnett is a is a very good coach, um, and and now he uh, he gets his time to be a permanent head coach in Nashville. Uh, what's interesting here is is that Barry Trotz, who's the GM there, uh, he actually coached uh, Andrew Burnett. 
Um, and uh, I think there was another, the other, oh, David Poyle uh, drafted Andrew Burnett when he, uh, when Poyle was the GM of the Washington Capitals. And then eventually Andrew Burnett ended up on his way to Nashville um, and Barry Trotz, who was the first coach there. Um, and uh, Barry and Andrew Burnett scored the first goal in Nashville Pred Predators franchise history. So now it's, it's kind of like full circle here where uh, Barry Trotz hires Andrew Burnett um, and, uh, and he's the coach here. Um, when he was uh um when he used to be a, a good player for them um in nashville so it's interesting i i think this is the move of the century uh well, not the century I, <laughs> that's a little bit hyperbolic i guess uh but i, re I really like this move um I, of course like yeah the predators do have s still some work to for them here um where um you know like we'll, we'll see what what goes on in the summer but Roman Yossi is one of the best defensemen in the league. Uh, UC Saros basically has to stand on his head. Um, and, but at the same time, we'll see what Philip Tomasino, um, Luca Vangelista, um, they also have, um, I think they have another good prospect in the system as well. Um, Joachim Kemmel could come in pretty soon. Uh, Zachary LaRue could come in. So they have a, a decent, like, Oh, I forgot to even mention Yaroslav Askarov, who's there, like a hot... Reed Schaefer as well, who they yeah, got from the Oilers in the Ekholm trade. He was a, yeah. a first-round pick in his draft year. He could yeah, be yeah. something, too. They have Zach LaRue, I think you mentioned. LaRue, yeah, I thought I did. But um, okay. Askarov, um, he was like, you know, he's a hot goalie prospect um, as well. So they have, yeah. a, they have a decent, like, prospect pool here. Um, and who knows what, what's going to happen. I think Matt Duchesne did have a bounce back season low key. Um, but, um, so, so yeah, we'll, we'll just see how, how it all goes. But, um, but yeah, I'm curious just to see what Andrew Burnett can do with this, with this team. Yeah. It's hard to believe that, uh, Matt Duchesne is heading into year five of his seven year deal. That's yeah. kind of crazy actually. Yeah. Um, now Here's here's the thing, and I'll mention this at the end, but we'll talk about the pros. You're right. Um, I think special teams, uh, in particular the power play, uh, Nashville's been kind of mid at that. Um, I think Andrew Burnett can definitely change that. And you're looking at guys in their early 30s or guys that are pushing 30. That you need to get, that you need to squeeze some pretty good hockey out of. And the other thing is, this was a team that sold at the deadline and also missed the playoffs by a point in the West. Yeah, like, point. Yeah. And that's largely on the back of UC Saros, but I mean, they were still right there at the very end. So it made you think that maybe this team isn't that far off. When you look at their forward group, their longest tenured forward is Philip Forsberg. Then you have three years left of Matt Duchesne at 8 million. Then two years of Ryan Johansson at 8 million. And then you have uh, Holton Sissons with two years left at under 3 million. Uh, then you have one, two, three, four, five UFAs after this coming season, uh, after the upcoming season, as well as two RFAs in uh, Tomasino and Parsonen. Parsonen, by the way, um, oh, killer first impression with the Preds this year. Par Parsonen was who I was thinking of, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just taking a look at his hot start. 
Uh, he ended up uh, finishing with 25 points in 45 games. Mm. Another guy that really impressed me this year, Thomas Novak, um, oh, yeah. who has uh, got one year left on his contract. 43 points in 51 games. Good God. And a point-a-game player in uh, the AHL before he got his big break. So they've already got some guys in the system on top of, you know, the, the odd names like Evangelista and Tomasino. I think they could be guys that uh, take the next step. But uh, guys like Parsonen and guys like Novak have already done that. And Parsonen is only 22 years old. And Thomas Novak, yeah. um, I it should be noted, he's, he's significantly older, a couple of years, only 26. But even still, yeah. um, he, he's shown that he can play and produce at the NHL level for a 26-year-old. Um, that's that's pretty good. And, and he did that just with kind 14, of you. He did that with 14 minutes of ice time on average. Yeah, he was a third round pick in 2015. Good God. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a long while ago. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, um, so I I, th- I definitely think there's Sorry, there's there's work in progress. I think Tyson Berry can be moved out. He's got a year left on his deal. Uh, maybe you move out Fabro as well, uh, get some some good returns there. Um, the UFA and RFA class this year isn't too crazy in terms of notable players that you could lose. Um, and in terms of salary cap space at the moment, the National Predators have $15 million, even more if they work it to their advantage. But the other thing that the National Predators also have is draft picks. They have two this year, including one they got from Edmonton. They have two second-round picks. Uh, one they got from Pittsburgh, I think that was the Mikhail Granlin trade. They also have three third-round picks and three fourth-round picks, along with two fifths and a sixth, which the reason I'm saying that is because this year's draft is supposed to be pretty deep, so you can get some pretty good talents, yeah. like even the third, fourth, fifth round. And then you look into next year, they only have a first, but they also have three seconds, uh, the Tanner Janot trade uh, partly to help with that. And then uh, they also have a conditional first from Tampa in 2025. Again, the Tanner Janot trade along with their original first. So on top of the prospects that they have and the current stars that they do have, they also have younger prospects coming up the pipeline as well. And uh, like I said, the deep draft, you know, they could get some really good players that are probably in the lineup within maybe a couple of years from now. Uh, so I definitely think uh, Andrew Burnett can get something out of this group. And the Preds' best hockey, uh, maybe with Roman Yossi, is starting to to fall behind them. But, I mean, as a team, as a unit, um, I, I definitely think they have more to give. So we'll see how that plays out. Now, the one gripe I have about this move is the guy who made it, Barry Trotz, and the way he made it, with John Hines still employed. And there's yeah. a great article in the Tennessean about this. And honestly, to Barry Trotz, I expected better from you. Remember yeah. that time in 2018, you win the Stanley Cup with Washington. There's that hand-picked guy, Reardon, what's his name, uh, that uh, Washington puts in that gig instead of you. And just because there was that, you know, championship clause in your contract, the Cavs didn't want to pay that, and they parted ways with you. I thought for sure that the last person who would be kicking a guy to the curb while he was employed and getting another guy while also interviewing other candidates. I didn't think that would be you. And I, I'm very disappointed in you. 
Yeah. Like, looking right at you in the eyes, I'm very disappointed in you, Barry Trotz. <laughs> you should know better. If that's the Norman hockey, as he yeah. said, he says it probably happened in his career. Be different. Be a better man. Don't yeah. do that next time. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, that's not – you're right. It is pretty shitty to uh, hire someone before they fire the guy uh, before him. Um, so, yeah. It's but, like there are plenty of other coaching vacancies that if John Hines knew he wasn't going to coach the Preds yeah. anymore, he could just go and interview for those. Right, right. There's even a couple available in Calgary and Anaheim. So In New York, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. – been perfect fits for those candidates like why yeah. didn't you just like i mean if if you if you're gonna make a change then make a change and not yeah. be like oh well i don't want to have another head coach yeah well I, the only <laughs> thing is is that yes i agree that it is shitty um the only thing that i'm thinking though is that like maybe maybe barry trotz didn't know if brunette was available considering that he was still on he was still an assistant coach for, for the devils at the time so like maybe who knows maybe brunette wanted to be the Let's head coach that's in New part Jersey. of the argument too but if he's also interviewed other candidates besides brunette then oh, at that yeah, point yeah. it's like no okay yeah yeah you're no, right okay like, fair, that fair is enough. more than that i, I didn't that. realize that he was interviewing other candidates as well so well yeah. if if that was the case that he was interviewing other candidates then it goes back yeah, to the yeah. point of like, yeah, no, don't. Do but that. like, like I could like because Andrew Burnett, like we all knew that he was he was going to be a head coach. Yeah, at I'm some not point. saying it's the wrong hire. Like it's a yeah. great hire, oh, and yeah, I yeah. think him over Hines, yeah. But just right. I don't know, uh, find a more ceremonious way to do it. Fair, not no, yeah, no, shot a guy from behind. Fair, fair point. I guess I'm just thinking like, um. Like, yeah, but yeah, that is a good point that if he was hiring other or looking, interviewing other people while Hines was still hired, yeah, then that's not a great move. That's, um, that's, that's traitorous. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I didn't know you would be so fired up about this. Like, yeah, it's, it's a shitty thing to do. But... Well, uh, again, the Steve Dangle podcast was saves the day. Oh, By yeah. the way, uh, congrats on 10 years uh, to those guys. Great job. <laughs> okay. So I feel like I should just listen to the Steve Dangle podcast and like You no really should. Do. It's great content. And I'm saying this oh. as a diehard Sens fan. Like no, but, but they, I feel like I, I should I watch good content. Like like we should just stop doing our podcast and just listen to Steve Dangle because that's where you get all your opinions now. Um But I like to talk about hockey as well. That's that's why we do this. <laughs> yes, I know. But um Okay. Uh Dallas Stars obituary here. Um, yeah. the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights did beat them, um, in game six. Um, so, so there was that. Um, I think it was like, I mean, I think I was like fooling myself into thinking that the Dallas Stars could pull it off, but maybe I was just caught with like what happened to the Boston Celtics at the same time. So, um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, I guess it wasn't surprising that Vegas was able to, uh, beat Dallas. Um, coincidentally, I guess... Vegas just waited till Jamie Ben could get back um, uh, and recover, um, and um, and that's that's what happened. Um, and he uh, so so the Vegas Golden Knights were just like, oh, we'll just wait till Jamie Ben to uh, uh, gets back just so that we can eliminate him. But um, in any case, uh, the Dallas Stars are out. 
Um, and um, in terms of their like off season, I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do. Um, we did talk about Wyatt Johnston in particular last year, uh, last week. Um, and I mean, we could talk about him again, but yeah, he had 24 goals on like, you know, talking about Thomas Novak, who had a lot of, who did very well in, um, limited ice time, but Wyatt Johnson also did very well with limited ice time. Um, in terms of their contract situation, and he's six like, years younger, by the way, than yeah. Novak as well. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Um, but uh, Tyler, say, uh, so um, in terms of the UFAs that Dallas has, um, <clears throat> they have uh, Evgeny Dadanoff, Max Stomi, Luke Glendening, Joel Kivaranta, uh, Frederick Olafson, and Joel Hanley, as well as Dylan Wells. So not too bad. Uh, they do have uh, Ty Delandria um, as an RFA. So yeah, not... Um, I think Ty Delandria did have a decent season, if I recall correctly. He did have a good playoffs, so so maybe that's the only one that they really have to focus in on. Um, but um, let me just look. Delandria had twenty eight points in sixty two games, and he uh, had three goals, no assists in fifteen. Games. But he he did he did have those two uh, two goals in game. four. Four of the um, yeah Western no Conference he he had some big moments for sure yeah um, but yeah so maybe it wasn't as good as I thought but uh, but yeah so maybe twenty two years old though like yeah. the best is yet to come surely and and he's an RFA so it's like he'll he'll sign on a team friendly deal so if anything better for their cap situation yeah no good point uh, they do have uh, speaking of that they do have seven million in cap space. Um, Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan are making nine, uh, nor- just north of nine million. Jamie Ben actually had a bounce back season this year. It's just that he cost them. He he basically. Um, by the way, I I ended up going back to uh, what happened with that Jamie Ben situation. So, uh, like apparently, um, I mean I think you probably did explain it, but like so Mark's like basically Jamie Ben like basically tackled Mark Stone and then uh, Jamie Ben said that um, like he, he blamed the stick for for what was happening like it was a complete accident or something and like when you look at that clip again which I was it was like how did Jamie Ben even think that it's, it's just crazy so like I feel like if Jamie Ben wasn't an idiot in the presser he would have gotten like one game um, and Mark Stone turned out to be okay but um it was kind of crazy that it's like, wait, what, what did, why, what, what's going on in Jamie Ben's head? So, um, so I, I do wonder though, because Jamie Ben did have a bounce back season. Um, I wonder if they could get something out of Jamie Ben. The only thing though is, is that they do, he has a no movement clause. So maybe he would have to be like willing to move his no move clause. And even if he does 9.5 million is, kind of still pretty rich even though he did have a bounce back season this year um you never know if there's a team that wants to like a culture change and they want to add some sandpaper and a bit of scoring there there could be that one fit you don't necessarily have to you know ask for like a first round pick for ben but Uh, well if you get a second round pick and 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 a team is willing to take that entire contract off your off your hands honestly i do it (laughs) <laughs> Did you realize that he had uh, 78 points in 82 games this year? 
Uh, no, I didn't, but I know he had a bounce back year. And again, yep. all the more reason to deal him off. Yeah, I, think. Yeah. I know he's the captain and he's probably well-respected in that locker room, but you also have Joe Pavelski who can yeah. help the young guys along. And yeah. I think the, the biggest worry is like how it would maybe impact the locker room dynamic. Yeah, but fair. from a hockey perspective, it, if there's a chance to move on from that contract, I do it at this point, especially yeah. when you consider that he was out for the balance of game three and game four and game five at a point where the stars could have really used his help out there. And he was useless. He wasn't there. Yeah, and yeah. as, as a captain, the response afterwards as well, um, you, you can't accept that. Yeah, I guess I, I don't, this is giving me flashbacks to when the Bruins decided to trade Joe Thornton because he couldn't perform in the playoffs. Um, and, but what, in reality, it was just that the Bruins couldn't figure out Jose Theodore and Joe Thornton was the linchpin. Granted, Joe Thornton was, this was like Joe Thornton's third season in the year. Um, and he wanted a huge contract and Jeremy Jacobs was very cheap and didn't want to sign him uh, for long. He also wasn't 30 and yeah. Jamie Benn is 33 at the moment. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was getting to. But um, so, so granted, it's a little bit different, but. Still, the same thing is, it's like, I, I don't love trading someone just because they perform badly in the playoffs. I, I feel like that's short-sighted a little bit. However, I do think that you could try to trade Tyler Sagan. He's also on a no-movement clause. Um, he did not perform well in the playoffs either, but he also had a pretty poor regular season as well. So it would be difficult to trade either Tyler Sagan or Jeremy Ben, but I think it's if, even tougher to deal Sagan because not yeah. only is he getting paid a bit more than Jamie Ben, he's yeah. got an additional two years on that contract, true, true. and also from an offensive standpoint, he was significantly worse than Ben. Yeah, he had like uh, fifty points in seventy six games, only twenty one goals, fair, fair. and in the playoffs he had nine points in nineteen games, like. I don't even yeah. know if you get like a mid-round pick for Sagan right now. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, that's a good point. I was thinking maybe there's like someone like me who's thinking that oh Tyler Sagan he's he's gonna be back. He just needs a chance. I mean, if it was ideal and it were gonna happen, yeah. yeah, yeah but yeah, I, I don't right, think yeah. any team is willing to touch that. With Ben, it's different because like in at least two years you can walk away from that. Yeah, but I mean, I don't even think this is worth discussing because both of them have a no movement clause. So like that, that's the first well, thing really you have to get through. Again, true, but all it takes is one team. Yeah. If if you get one team to bite and you cut your losses, but, you get a second and ben, you call it a day. But Ben and but like the first thing that has to happen is Ben or Sagan have to say like, you know what, I don't want to be in Dallas anymore. I'm gonna remove my no movement clause. So that that's the first yeah. thing that they have to do. Um, that's true. And um, but yeah, I mean, I I think from a uh, the standpoint, it, it seemed like what happened was that Jake Ettinger was just too tired um, and too fatigued um, in um, in the playoffs. And I think that was just a big factor of like, you know, it, it doesn't yeah. matter how good Jason Robertson was. It doesn't matter how good Joe Pavelski or Rupe Hintz or Miro Iskinen or any of these guys that I could mention doesn't matter. He was too easy to pick apart. Yeah. Like, we saw it against Seattle, and we yeah. continued to see it against so, Vegas. So, like, I think this is the trend now that, like, 
you just need a like you know Scott Wedgwood was decent, but I I think you could find a better backup goalie, and you're just gonna have to tell Jake Ettinger, you know what, relax in the regular season just a little bit, Ettinger. Uh, we know you're very good, but we need you in the playoffs. Um, and you know, look at Sergei Bobrovsky. Like he didn't play a ton in Florida um, in the regular season, and now he's like incredible in the playoffs. Um, so I, I think that's just what a lot of teams are going to start doing is just resting their, their starting goaltender more often and then just saving them until the playoffs. Um, so I, I imagine that that will be the, the top priority for Dallas is to get a backup goaltender, um, which is interesting because if that's your top priority um, to get a backup goaltender, like you're, you're doing pretty well. So, um, but, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll also should be noted, um, there was Bettman's State of the Union address, and we can also probably talk more broadly to specifics yes. uh, next week as well. But I wanted to mention this point. He, is, uh, he, the commissioner, Gary Bettman, is projecting a $1 million increase for the salary cap next season, mm. which, uh, as most people know, is not the uh, increase that a lot of people were hoping for. So mm. um, for Teams like Dallas, or for Dallas, who were maybe hoping to, you know, keep some guys around and still add, uh, wrench got thrown into those plans. Only a million dollar increase to me doesn't really move the needle for the contenders. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah. if you're if you're hoping to get better, it's good for you because now teams will still have to shed cap and you can benefit, sure, aka yeah. the Buffalo Sabers. Right, right, right. So speaking of the Buffalo Sabres, they're the one that uh, gets um, either either team that wins the Stanley Cup. Um, they will have to be reminded of their past failures because uh, if the Panthers win, then Sam Reinhart wins the Cup. And if Vegas Golden Knights win, then of course Jack Eichel wins the Cup there. Um, so that, that's a good Brandon Montour is also on Florida yeah. along with Eric Stahl. And I didn't oh, yeah. realize this. Uh, William Carrier started with the Sabres. Oh. Uh, Robin Leonard, who hasn't played all year, um, right. is a Vegas Golden Knight technically. And I didn't realize this. Uh, well, I, I, I guess I did, but I forgot. Before he played for the LA Kings, Braden McNabb started oh, his wow. career with the Sabres too. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I kind of put Sam Reinhardt and Jack Eichel on a different level from all those other guys. Uh, not, yeah, no, not, like they're yeah. they're the poster boys yeah. of the of yeah. of the regime that failed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, not only that, because they were the second overall picks from in twenty fourteen and twenty fifteen. So that was when yep. like, those True. were like yes, obviously you the Sabers wanted Ekblad and they wanted. Um, What's his face? Uh, they wanted McDavid, of course. Uh, that's who I was thinking of. Uh, of course, but like, you know, Reinhardt and uh, Eichel weren't bad consolation prizes, and that was the thought at the time. And that's still true. They were they were pretty good in Buffalo as well. It's just they, you know, they uh, Sabres just failed to uh, build around those two players. Um, and, um, yeah, but uh, so I, I mostly just take it from, like, the sense of, like, Okay, yeah, these were guys that, like, the Sabres were planning their entire future on uh, to build their team around, and they didn't end up doing that. Um, what is interesting, and I was reminded by this when I was watch, uh, listening to Puck Soup. I feel like this is my my version of the Steve Dangle podcast. Um, 
because See, there you go yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i guess that's just how, how it goes it's like i i listen to a lot of hockey podcasts you listen to uh, a lot of hockey podcasts and this is just an amalgam amalgamation we, of all we both the consume podcasts. different information that's exactly. but that's that's great that's what that's, that's what makes a podcast special man. That, that's what it's makes me, the podcast this podcast right um anyways um down goes brown uh had mentioned and i had forgotten about this but when Jack Eichel was, uh, uh, like, you know, there was rumors on him being traded. Uh, yeah, he ended up going to Vegas, but I don't know if you remember this, Steve, but there was a rumor that, um, that Jack Eichel was going to go to Calgary, and in that Calgary return was a one Matthew Kachuk. So, if that had happened, that meant, that would mean that... Four franchises, the Florida Panthers, the Vegas Golden Knights, the Calgary Flames, and the Buffalo Sabres, their franchises would have changed exponentially. Like, I can't even imagine what Jack Eichel, like, yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense now. It's it's kind of funny because those are the two best players right now in the Stanley Cup Finals, but uh, in terms of skaters. But um, but it is kind of funny to think about, like, that's, that's like a bigger what if of, like, what if the Calgary Flames got Jack Eichel and they had to trade away Matthew Kachuk? Um, so, anyways, oh, that's fun to think about. Um, and, and you know what? I, I think what's interesting, too, just before I get into Game 1 recap, on that same note, it is interesting because both Matthew Kachuk and Jack Eichel, they both forced their way out of um, their former teams um, and ended up getting traded. So now I'm wondering if a lot of teams are going to start doing this. Like, you know, they're going to start, like a lot of superstars are going to be like, hey, I want out too. And uh, and then teams are going to be more willing to trade their superstars because they're like, hey, look at the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, they got Jack Eichel. Look at the Florida Panthers. They got Matthew Kachuk um, in this way. So yeah, remember this when Elias Peterson uh, gets fed up with Vancouver. Yeah, it could happen. He's probably going to go to a place like Vegas or the better, wherever. The better example would be Austin Matthews, but uh, yeah, you're, yep. you're right. That, that could happen. Or Patrick Laine. Maybe he doesn't like this Mike Babcock guy. Yeah, Patrick Laine again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Pierre-Luc Dubois again. Yeah. Although, although we, we know that Pierre-Luc Dubois is going Yeah, no, Moscow, we, so. we know where he's going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We know where he's going. And I, I wouldn't put him on the same level as any of those guys we just mentioned. But, no, for for sure. But um, but it is possible. Like I, I feel like I, I am curious, and it's exciting. Like I want this to happen, where there's just going to be more like superstar trades going on. Uh, just because I, I feel like though, if if Vegas were to win, like it would just also still feel as dirty as if they would have won in their first year. Cause like you look at the track record, yeah. like this, is the fourth time they in six years of existence, they have been to the conference finals. Yeah. The second time they have been to the Stanley cup finals. And yeah. the only time they missed the playoffs was last year. And they barely missed out. True. Meanwhile, you look at the Florida Panthers who have been in existence since the early nineties had John Van Beesbrook as their goalie during that miracle run in 96 before they got swept by the Avs. Yeah. They had prime Roberto Luongo, wasted him. They had prime Jay Bomister, wasted him. Yep. They had Ed Jovanovsky, also wasted him. They had Nathan Orton, Ole Jokinen, uh, I think Stephen Weiss had some good years in Florida, wasted them as well. Uh, there are probably other names that I'm forgetting. 
but the list goes on and on of all those years of not even being relevant in the NHL, missing the playoffs barely by the skin of their teeth, uh, being in draft lotteries consistently. And the one time they get into the playoffs, uh, like last year, they get swept in the second round by their state rival, and and they get swept handily. Mm. And and now they're in the finals, and I, I kind of feel like they're probably the team that everyone's rooting for, the team that has gone mm. through the most, all that misery, all that futility, all those years of nothing, and they have a chance to win their first Stanley Cup. I'd much rather go to Florida than a team that's oh. only been in the league for six years and has already achieved more than they have. So I would argue that uh, Vegas, well, first off, I'm actually, I think I'm actually rooting for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, but that's mostly. I'm just, rooting for them because Mark Stone would be a champion yeah, and I'm exactly. fine with that. That's the only reason I'm rooting for them. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm also rooting for them because like, even though I probably shouldn't be like, it, it will be, probably be a bad look uh, for like Bruce Cassidy wins the Stanley Cup before the Bruins do I, I I do still like have a soft spot for Bruce Cassidy? Yeah, so I do too. He's an Ottawa yeah, boy, exactly. I, so yeah, I cheer so, for him so as well. I, I, I'm rooting for Bruce Cassidy. I also um I also kind of have a soft spot for Jack Eichel. I kind of root for anybody who grew up in Boston. So um so I, yeah. I hope that Jack Eichel uh, does it as well. But um the uh but i the other point that i was going to make is yes you're right of course like the florida panthers have been more tortured as a franchise compared to the biggest golden knights who only like missed the playoffs last year simply because everyone got injured on vegas but i will argue that that 2018 team is very very different from this 2023 team and not wrong and the reason why that happened was because in 2018, like the Vegas Golden Knights made the playoffs and, you know, they made it to the Stanley Cup finals. But like what happened was, is like Jack Eichel, or I, I forget who was the, I guess Max Pacioretty was like, you know what? I like what Vegas is doing. I, I want to be traded there. So he goes there. Mark Stone's like, you know what? I like what Vegas is doing there. I'm, I'm, I, I will accept a trade there. I like Alex Same with Robin Leonard. Robin Leonard's like I like what Vegas is doing there. I'm going to go there. Uh, same with um, Alex Petrangelo. Um, I'm sure there's other examples that I'm not even thinking of. Um, Jack Eichel. And uh, Petrangelo's case, he yeah. walked away from a team that he helped lead to a Stanley so, Cup a few years prior, and, and just left him in free agency. And then it's like, yes, you're you're right. They haven't suffered as much as Florida has as a franchise, but there is something to the fact that. Eden Hill is their fourth goaltender. <laughs> like, if, yeah. if all their goaltenders Pretty were healthy, Eden Hill would be uh, a tandem in an AHL in their Henderson, uh, which is their AHL affiliate, I believe. Um, so uh, there's something to that. The fact that last year that they just missed the playoffs because uh, Mark Stone, Jack Eichel, and Max Pacioretty were all injured at roughly the same time. Um, and then even if they were all healthy, they had to like cap circumvent um, the fact that like, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just incredible. Like, yes, of course, Bruce Cassidy is a good coach um, and can get the best out of guys, especially goaltending. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's just incredible that they were, they're able to, um, to get this far um, even, even still. So 
I, I do, like, I, I understand there's a lot of people in my fantasy hockey league who hate Vegas Golden Knights with a passion. Um, and I understand that. But that that's because one of them is a San Jose Sharks fan. One of them I is a Vancouver I know exactly who you're talking about, yeah, by yeah. the way. We've, we've even had that guy on the show. Uh, one yep. of them is a Vancouver Canucks fan. Um, one of them's a Kings fan. These are all teams that are in Vegas Golden Knights division. So, um, yeah. I, I, you know, I'll, I'll be happy for Florida if they do end up uh, winning. But I am rooting for Vegas Golden Knights. I, I feel like, I don't know. I, I don't really feel dirty about it even. So, but yeah, I, yeah. I can I can totally understand though why you, you wouldn't be rooting for the Vegas Golden Knights. But it is kind of cool though that either way, like an underdog will win. Because um, I still consider the yeah. Vegas Golden Knights an underdog. And to an extent, you know, um, I feel like Florida and Vegas are similar in the sense that yeah. These are teams in the past that we trust. It's like, okay, this yeah. this is it. This is where yeah. they finally make the run. And then they disappoint us. And yeah. It's just like, I'm never trusting you again. Yeah. And, oh, now you're here. Okay, yeah. well, interesting. Yeah. And also, um, you look at the track record of the most successful NHL teams on paper and the moves that they made and the chemistry mm. that they're able to build. And you look at what the Rangers did and what the Leafs did and all the trade deadline moves. It's just like, oh, this team won the yeah. deadline. And you know what happens to those teams? They don't really go as far as yeah. you think. Probably because, you know, team chemistry takes a bit of time to build. Yeah. By the time you think you've built it, uh, well, you're golfing in, in May anyways. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you look at the two teams, Florida and Vegas, this year, they continue the trend of teams that barely did anything at the deadline or the teams that are – going to go the furthest in the yep. playoffs in florida's case they were so cash strapped they couldn't really do anything yeah, yeah. in fact i don't think they made a single move even a note even like a minor move i don't think they made well, they any did, of those well, because they did, of how the, cash the only move were. that they made was they traded away max petretti um but that was for Cap florida oh oh i thought you were talking about vegas i see what you mean no no i mean i mean last last offseason yeah but well, the i mean only, just well, at the, the trade the, deadline this year Oh, oh, you mean in trade deadline. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. They didn't make a huge yeah, yeah, Florida barely did anything. And Vegas did do some things, yep. but everyone remembers Vegas for, like you said, oh, we just got Mark Stone. Oh, we yeah. just got Robin Leonard a year later. Yeah. Hey. Mm-hmm. And, and then this year, they decide to go for the depth guys that pack a punch. Not necessarily the Jonathan Quicks, although they needed goalie death and, you know, Jonathan Quick, two-time Stanley Cup champion, sure, why not? He's got the pedigree, he's got the experience, he's got the winning, we need that. Uh, but they also get a guy like Teddy Bluger, who's a good, solid bottom six forward, and then you've got a bottom six forward with jump, but could also potentially play second line minutes and Ivan Barbashev, and sure enough, when you look at what he's done in the playoffs, he's backed it up. He's been as valuable as they've hoped he'd be. And when you look at guys like William Carlson and Jonathan Marchessault, their ability to step up the game in the case of William Carlson also going up against yep. a lot of very good players. Did you know that Vegas has gone up against five, count them, five 100-point scores? There were 11 total in the league this year, and they gone up against five of them. Granted, three of them were on the Oilers. But still, at, at least one 100-point player per round and uh, in this playoffs, they're going up against Matthew Kachuk, who's having the playoffs of his life right now. Mm. Um, definitely, Vegas has earned their right to be here. In the case of the Florida Panthers, even, 
They went up against the top-seeded Boston Bruins league-wide, the fifth-best team in the league, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the second-best team in the league, the Carolina Hurricanes. They went through three top-five teams in the NHL, and they beat all of them to get here. So you look at the the numbers and the statistics, um, you know, all of them indicate, wow, how do they make it here? But when you look at the teams they had to beat and how they've gotten here, it makes sense why they're here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, Florida, it's, you know, it's it's interesting even just making the playoffs because I think we all agreed that, um, like, the Vegas Golden Knights, if they made the playoffs last year, they probably would have gone far. Um, it was just that no one was healthy and they had to make some moves to – uh, to not have the the cap circumvention or something, but like if they made the playoffs, they would be good. And you could say the same for the Florida Panthers as well, because because um, like last year they won the President's Trophy, and we just talked about Andrew Burnett. But then uh, the only big move that they made in the summer was that Matthew Kachuk, Jonathan Huberdeau trade. And at the time, as I mentioned at the beginning of this show. Um, like that, like a lot of people saw that as like, oh, Calgary won that trade because Jonathan Huberto had 110 points. Um, and he's been consistent. He was like a bedrock to that franchise forever. He was a big reason why they even won the president's trophy. Um, Mackenzie yeah. Weger, um, was able to like, you know, Aaron Ekblad was out for a long time. Um, that the last season and, uh, Mackenzie Weger definitely stepped up. So, like, losing him as well was pretty bad. Oh, like, you know, you have a 2025 first-round pick at, as well. It's like, yeah, Matthew Kachuk also had 100 points, but, like, you, like the uh, Florida Panthers didn't get a first-round pick. They didn't get a Mackenzie Weger-type player back. It was just solely for Matthew Kachuk. So, like, the fact that, like, that was the only big move that the Florida Panthers had made and it turns out, like, you know, and you could even say something about, like, Sergei Bobrovsky. That was, like, before this playoff started, that was seen as the worst contract um, in NHL right now. Uh, just simply because he, like, he wasn't playing, like, the Vezina-level goalie that we expect him to be. Like, he was in Columbus or, like, he was in Philly. So, just the fact that, like, Sergei Bobrovsky was, like, has has also come back is also like a crazy thing too. So it's like, um, so like, it's not a surprise that this is Vegas or Florida, but at the same time, it is kind of surprising just because like, we knew that these teams were good teams. It's just that they, they were unlucky last year. Um, And then all this, all of a sudden, like, you know, oh, Matthew Kachuk, right. He's perfect for this Florida team that like, and that you need a hard nosed players. in these playoffs that that's something that Jonathan Huberto can't provide and you just need a hot goaltender. So Bobrovsky, he's, he's like playing the best uh, goaltending in his career right now. Um, and, you know, you could say the same for Aiden Hill. Like, yeah, like we're, we're about to talk about game one. He had this incredible save uh, last night. Uh, it was a stick save. He was out of the crease and then um, I forget I'm looking at it right now. I don't know who shot it, but um, it was a wide open net for this Florida Panther guy. But then Eden Hill just like goes out of his way and, and saves this uh, this 
Um, you know what reminds that uh, can't talk. Remember what that uh, reminds you of there, Brett Holpe versus Vegas game two, oh, yeah, 2018 yeah. finals. Yeah. Yeah. TNT that's shades that of Holpe right there. And yeah. that turned the series around too. It was, uh, I'm looking at it here. It was uh, Nick cousins who, uh, who shot that. But... <laughs> the guy who ended the leaf season. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, so two Greyhounds legend, but, but it was like uh, the save of the, the playoffs, I think so far. Um, yeah. To, Unless anything beats it, yeah, it yeah, will yeah. be. Um, so I believe that was uh, in the first period, but I guess to segue into our recap here of Game 1, um, yeah, that was. Um, uh, anyways, uh, so Eric Stahl, uh, he scores in the first period, uh, shorthanded goal at that, which is uh, pretty crazy. I didn't realize it was shorthanded there. Uh, then uh, Jonathan Marjusso ties things up. 1-1. One, one. Um, in the second period, uh, Shea Theodore scores uh, uh, with 10 minutes and 54 seconds in the second period. Um, and then, uh, and then like, the last, like, 10 seconds, Anthony DeClaire scores unassisted there to tie things up. And then in the third period, this is where, like, Vegas is like, you know what, we're just going to win this thing. Um, so Zach Whitecloud, which was a nice goal at, at that as well. Uh, so he scores. Uh, then Mark Stone gets a goal unassisted. And, um, and then Riley Smith gets a goal as well. It's interesting that Vegas had five unique goal scorers. And none of them were Jack Eichel, um, <laughs> who I keep on talking up. And Jack Eichel had ended up with two assists. And I think he had, let me see if that's... He must have, he had the most points of any goal of night, and he didn't even have a goal um, in that game. So that that's kind of funny. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I felt like, um, like, yeah, in the first period, I felt like Florida uh, kind of um, took cold, but then in the second period was when Vegas really started to get going. Um, and then, yeah, the third period, they just, uh, Vegas really started to, to take hold, and, and they won that game. So... It'll be interesting. I, I expect that Florida will figure it out. I do wonder, though, because, like, Florida, I think they were, they. it's been, a, like, a week since Florida has played. So I am curious if there's, like, a rust factor with Florida. Um, you also have to take into account that, one, the Miami Heat are also playing. So I, I wonder if they're going to be, like, playing at the same time as Florida. Although, oh, right, they don't play in the same arena, so I don't think we have to. they have to worry about that. But um, but in terms of, like, TV ratings, maybe they don't want – the NHL and the NBA don't want that. Um, I don't know. But um, there, so there's something interesting about that. Um, and then uh, the um, – yeah, so – but I, I do expect that Florida does come back, even though, like, it's been – I think it's been, like – a week and a half since the Florida Panthers have last played. So I, I think we expected that there was going to yeah, be some May 24th reminder. was their last game yeah. prior to game one and game one was played June 3rd. So yeah. 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 So that, that's like roughly a week or a little bit more. Yeah. A week and a half roughly. Yeah. 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 A long time. Exactly. So, um, so, but like, I, I don't think this is like going to be a sweep for Vegas either. Um, but I'm, I'm sure there is a rust factor as well. So we'll, we'll see how this, well, this plays out. As Paul Maurice uh, also once said, everyone just effing breathe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you listen to his game one post game comments, he's not worried at all. And 
and Paul Maurice, the one thing that I've said time and time again about him uh, in recent episodes is that when it comes to dramatic effect, when it comes to, you know, a player of the media, uh, Paul Maurice is a guy that, you know, fights for his players, knows what he can get out of his players, and he believes in his players. And anything to take a deflection off of the loss, um, you know, after not playing for however many days, 10 days, something like that, uh, that type of press conference is classic Paul Maurice. Like, a guy that reads the room, he's just like, yeah, lighten up, man. It's only game one. And to his point, you know what happened uh, in 2018? Vegas won game one. And then they lost four in a row and lost the finals to the Capitals. So there's still plenty of hockey to be played. If Florida is able to take game two, they go home with home ice advantage now. And all of a sudden they could take both games at home and they could return to Vegas with a 3-1 series lead. A lot can happen over the course of a game, over the course of a series. Game one hasn't decided anything, and nor is any of us playing like... It, it's, it's going to be, you know, uh, curtains for the Panthers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely the good start that Vegas needed. Um, Mark Stone making a couple of big plays as well. You notice Vegas getting uh, under Florida's skin a little bit, and they were kind of playing into that. That's the kind of stuff I think Florida needs to lay back on, for example. Because um, Vegas will let you play that game. And if they know they're going to get the calls, they're totally fine with taking a couple of punches right. like that. That um, th- some of those punches that Florida was making, by the way, were kind of like very unnecessary. Like Mark Stahl holding a guy back, I can't remember who it was, and then you see a Florida Panthers glove just smack the guy in the face. Mm-hmm. And then there was this other instance where a Vegas player uh, was being confronted by, I think it was Sam Bennett. Sam Bennett just, like, gave him a shot or whatever. It was, like, late stage of the third period. Game has already been decided at this point. The Vegas guy just laughs. He's like, hey, what the heck are you doing, bro? Get in the box. Enjoy your two minutes. And I think Bennett and Kachuk, I think, got two and a ten in the late stages of the game. If the Panthers are getting into that trap and they're playing that game, uh, they're in trouble. Uh, they They can't. They can't push around Vegas like that. Vegas will just point and laugh and just watch them sit for two. So um, I think if Florida just sticks to their game plan and just like stays within the lines uh, and just plays Vegas hard, um, I think they're definitely in in good position because credit to Florida, they did get the first goal. And it should be noted that I think heading into game one in the first three rounds combined, less than 35% of the minutes played um, they they were uh, actually leading in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So a lot of that time was probably tied because there were a lot of overtime games in that 4-OT marathon, of course. Uh, but they were also playing a catch-up for a fair bit of that, especially in the Boston series. Um, and, you know, Florida's not, not used to having the lead that much. Uh, so uh, when you do get a lead you got to learn how to play with the lead and, and be wise with, with your next move. So um, I, I think Florida, if they play smart, uh, I like their chances of getting back into this series. But um, they they can't really afford to go down 2-0 against Vegas because 
Um, you're you're facing you know a lot of very good teams, and I think Vegas is a team similar to Florida that can adapt to to any scenario. Um, and going down to nothing, going back to your home crowd, um, you definitely want the series to be one one at that point. So yeah. Um, and and to be fair. That hasn't happened to Florida once in these playoffs. Even in the Boston series, they yeah, were able to reply sure. with a solid showing in Game 2. So they need Game 2. Well, I don't know if they need Game 2 because it's, it's that famous thing of, like, if they... Well, I guess they do eventually need to win on the road. Um, but, like, it's that famous thing of, like, it's not a series until... Um, until the you away lose at team home. wins. Yeah, You're not in so, trouble until you lose at home, yeah. But at the same time, if the if Florida Panthers do win all their home games, they still could lose. Um, so uh, so they do need to win one, but it doesn't necessarily have to be game two. It could be game four, uh, five um, or, I guess, game seven. Um, so, but yeah, no, I mean, of course, like in terms of like momentum-wise, I do understand what you're saying. Um all right, so that about does it here for us at Lace Em Up. You can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Em Up. You can also subscribe to us because at this point, that's pretty much what those <laughs> those accounts are for, is just updating you guys on when new episodes are out. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can also subscribe to us on uh, Spotify, iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll talk again in episode 368 of the Lace Them Up podcast.